uh, as we begin, let us commit this time uh, before our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Uh, loving God, we ask for your help as we come to your word. Uh, we pray that by your spirit you be at work, opening up our hearts, our minds, our eyes to the truth uh, of your word. Show us uh, the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus and lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We ask this uh, for his sake. Amen. Uh, today we're in Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44, the parable of the treasure in the field and the pearl. Uh, two parables, both short, both simple, both pack a big punch. Here is a question. What would you do if you found the seemingly impossible? We can see in these parables what these two blokes did, but it's an important question. What would you do? Because the thing is, you've found it. You've found the seemingly impossible. You've, you've found the kingdom of God, presumably, or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it. Now, we should pause and, and ask, what is the kingdom of God? Let's unpack that a bit. Every kingdom has a king. To be in the kingdom of God is it to be in a relationship with that kingdom's king. And the king of the kingdom is, it's who? It's the king, king of the kingdom is Jesus presently. And so the kingdom of God then is characterised by this one we call Jesus and his subjects, his followers. The kingdom of God is where his people are, where Jesus is and his people, as seen through his people. And so we experience something of the kingdom of God when we gather as a church family. It's a present reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of his kingdom now, today. But we also know that we're part of the kingdom to come the prospect of heaven and being God's people for all eternity. But whatever you do as you think about the kingdom of God, at the heart must be the one we call Jesus, the kingdom's king. Um, because without Jesus being in God's kingdom, in the present or in the future, is impossible. You've got to have Jesus. Now, back to the parables. These two parables grab us because we know what it is like to search or discover something. Maybe we've lost an, an heirloom. Maybe it was a, a way to fund a university study. Uh, maybe it was the ideal bull for breeding uh, that we searched for and we searched for. Or maybe it's that just that as simple as that perfect cup of coffee. Maybe this uh, Sunday... Uh, you spent uh, the week before searching for the ultimate Father's Day gift. Maybe. Uh, we all do it, though. We all search and we discover things. And this is what is being pictured here. Now, imagine for a moment your search or your discovery concluded in a glorious, spectacular, life-changing uh, discovery. Imagine your search was not unfruitful, but entirely and unexpectedly it was fulfilling. 
and transformational. Your life is never going to be the same. That is what Jesus is calling us to imagine here. Something life-changing. And so here is the question again. What, what would you do? What would you do? Consider the parable of the treasure. The possibility of finding treasure buried in a field was rare but not entirely far-fetched in the ancient world. This is a world that doesn't have a safe deposit box or alarms or banks or <laughs> even mattresses. Uh, what should grab us, however, is the price the treasure finder is willing to pay. And what is the price the treasure finder is willing to pay? The price is everything. See what he does? It costs the man everything to obtain this treasure. There's no pause to do the sums. He acts impulsively. And what is his motivation. Can you see the motivation there? You can see it there in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field so that he could have the treasure legitimately. But what was the motivator? Joy. Joy is the motivator. It's there in verse 44. The beauty and the glory of the kingdom are such that one who finds it and knows what he has reacts out of joy, pure joy, sacrificing all that he has, everything, and counting it no loss, in order to obtain the impossible. The parable of the great pearl uh, looks even more surprising. On the one hand, it might seem to be the same message, but in both parables, the, the searcher sells all that he has to gain the price. Both, both lives are changed forever. That's true, but the, do you see the twist in the second parable? I mean, the second bloke, this merchant, is he bonkers? He doesn't sell everything in order to gain something of greater value like our first parable. No, on the contrary, the merchant, he sells everything, including his existing inventory of pearls, to buy one single pearl. Well, I don't know, does that sound like good business to you? To be sure, this second bloke, he's not in the pearl business for the money. He's clearly in it for the pearls. And now he has found the pearl. Now he's found the pearl. The merchant of many pearls becomes a collector of one pearl. And it seems... To own this one pearl is to own the only pearl that matters. Why did he sell everything to become potentially a homeless uh, owner of a single pearl? Why did he do that? Why? 
It's for the love of the pearl. The joy of it. The delight of it. And that's the twist in the second parable. See, ironically, the merchant is less financially motivated than the field worker. First bloke, he's going to sell his riches to have more riches. The merchant, he's going to sell everything, not for the hope of greater riches necessarily, but for the simple joy of possessing this one pearl. Now we might ask, but why? Why? And the answer must be, isn't it because our treasure is Jesus? Isn't it because Jesus is, he's like the pearl. He is the ultimate thing. He is the only thing that really matters. Isn't Jesus the only thing that surpasses every other thing? Isn't this why the treasure is so precious or isn't this why the pearl uh, is to be so highly sought after that you'd sell everything in order to have it? And this is a glimpse, I think, of our response to Jesus himself as the king of the kingdom. See, we must have the pearl of great price. That's the point. We must have the treasure. And so we must have Jesus. We must understand the significance of Jesus. If somebody asked you, why are you a Christian? Or, or maybe they might ask you, what, what's the best thing about being a Christian? I wonder what you would say. And in fact, you can pause and take a moment to consider that question. It's an important question. You can pause and ponder what it means. Don't hit the fast forward button though. Tell me what is more valuable and more precious than God's forgiveness? Well, what would you compare the beauty of God's forgiveness to? What would you trade God's forgiveness for? Is there anything? God's forgiveness secured and guaranteed by Christ's death on the cross, his blood poured out for you. What would you trade that for? Where your guilt is wiped away, every record of wrong is wiped away by the blood of Jesus. What would you trade that for? As you remember that Christ died for me. Christ died for me. Isn't that one of the great things we know as a Christian. Or how about the punishment that Jesus bore for us? As the wrath of God is poured onto the shoulders of Jesus, where Jesus died as me on the cross. Isn't that incredible? What, what would you trade that for? And now we have peace with God because his wrath is turned aside. And now we can approach the throne of grace, which the barrier of sin is gone. Now we pray freely without any barrier or worry about approaching God. Barrier of sin is gone. What would you trade that for? 
Is that not life-changing? But it gets better because not only did Christ die for me, not only did Christ die as me, Christ now lives in me. That's another truth of the gospel. We are stamped with the character of Jesus. His holiness, his right standing, his right character lives in us. And so we love what Jesus loves and then we hate what Jesus hates and we pursue what Jesus pursues and we run a mile, we flee from what Jesus flees from. And not only does now Christ live in me, he now lives through me. And so we grow as grow in Christ. We blossom, if you like, with Christ-likeness, which means we live as people where, one implication is we live as, as people where, where death has no sting. We're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of God's judgment because we're holding fast to Jesus who died for me, who died as me, who now lives in me and now he lives through me. That's, that's true for every Christian every follower of Jesus. And this is all of God's love, all of God's love. It's a relationship where the book of Ephesians tells us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so we lack nothing spiritually. How's that for a why? They're all good reasons. Why am I a Christian? Why is a Christian so good? It's because I have this right relationship with God where I enjoy his forgiveness where he dwells in me by his spirit, where the hope of eternal life is real and concrete. It's anchored through the death and resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ. The why should be very easy for us. But stop now because as I work through the why and as you listen, were you thinking about the cost of believing or were you thinking about the joy and the gratitude and the thankfulness? Because in these parables, such as the wonder of the treasure or the wonder of the pearl, joy trumps all. And the same, therefore, must be true of the gospel. We have the gospel. And so our joy in the gospel trumps all. The joy of being in a, in a new and right relationship with our heavenly Father. This is characterised by love and peace and a pursuit of holiness. So do you see the implications? Do you understand the why? Do you see that joy, joy in the wonder of the gospel, joy in the truth of who Jesus is, do you see that joy is the engine of change? Joy is the engine of change. Or more, in these stories, joy is the engine of sacrifice. <laughs> Except the farmer nor the merchant thinks for a moment they've made any sacrifice at all. Such is their joy. That's the point. Such is the surpassing value of the treasure or the pearl. Such is their surpassing value. Selling is no sacrifice. What are you talking about? They would not say they'd lost a thing. Cost what cost? Both have made 
significant gains. And the same is true for the Christian. Cost what cost? Are you kidding? The same should be true for the Christian. Bears thinking about. We've made significant gains. Our lives are forever changed. And that should give us joy. Think about Christian overseas missionaries. They share. When we listen to their stories, we might tally up the great cost, particularly the relational cost with their families and what compels them to go overseas and leave everything and what compels them. It's not the cost, but the joy. The spring of mission is joy. It's the joy of knowing Jesus and wanting to share Jesus beyond borders, beyond language barriers and beyond all those cultural differences. And so it's little wonder our missionaries are the source of great encouragement and great joy. The same is true for us. The spring of mission is joy. That's true locally. You will not share the gospel. You will not share Jesus uh, unless he's the source of great joy for you. See, how do we motivate one another as Christians? Because let's face it, some of us can be sad, 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 or sorry, sorry, sorry. Like a big cloud sits over our heads. What truth will lift our heads and broaden our shoulders? What truth is like oxygen in our lungs that allows us to breathe easily and, and lightly? What truth takes away that heaviness of life? And can I say it's the gospel of Jesus. It's Jesus himself. Because in Jesus you can know that God loves you and that God has redeemed you, that he has showered his blessings upon you in Christ Jesus. He is the pearl. He is the treasure. How do we persevere and keep serving as Christians? We keep pointing one another back to Jesus, reminding one another of the gospel than knowing the joy of belonging to Jesus because that's where our identity is. And so Jesus is the why. He is the why, the why, the why. Begins and ends with him. It's a little wonder the book of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus because only Jesus brings forgiveness and the hope of dwelling with God forever. And so I ask you again, I mean seriously, what would anybody trade Jesus for and his precious gospel? And so for the Christian, he must always remain number one. These parables call us to consider our love for God's kingdom, to understand its significance, which really comes down to our love for the kingdom's king the one we call Jesus. With the treasure, Jesus asks us to reimagine what it is that we value. Are we accounting rightly when it comes to the things of the world and the next? Would we sacrifice all worldly good to obtain something infinitely better? With the pearl, the question is even harder. It asks, is the sacrifice for the pure love of the kingdom? The treasure probes our vision 
and our values, do we see that the kingdom is more, infinitely more? But the pearl probes deeper still into our heart and into our will. The pearl asks us, do we see that the kingdom is all? Therefore, come to Jesus. Uh, May Jesus live and reign uh, as king in all of our lives. Amen.